I am honored to be able to share um, an extended testimony of God's goodness, and that's what I truly believe it is. Let me tell you that from the beginning, that this testimony may sound difficult and, and hard, and it is still ongoing, but I wanted to do this, and I'm glad Pastor Scott um, gave me the opportunity to do so because I wanted to go back and remember all of the moments that God was good and faithful even in the midst of great difficulty. And hopefully it will serve as an encouragement to you. Many of you know about our son in some way, Victoria and I's son in some way. His name is Grayson. If you don't, you're about to learn about him. And he's uh, every day when we get to look at him in the morning and he wakes up, we get to remember these things that he's gone through, so we wanted to share with you. Some of you have prayed for him, and some of you have encouraged us in the midst of it, and we thank you so much for that. I wanted to mention that at the outset. Uh, you'll have to forgive me. I want to read at some various points just because I don't want to forget some things. Um, I hope to be sharing with you as well, but there will be some times where I have to read because I don't want to forget some of the things that God has done and that I had the privilege of writing out for you. For those of you who don't know where uh, Victoria and I came from before this, we actually were a part of Riverbend Community Church uh, four years ago and many years before that. We were actually married in this uh, worship center. And uh, after that, I was serving as the youth director here at Riverbend and I really wanted to uh, go off to seminary. And I was... Uh, I told Pastor Scott we kind of high-fived each other. He was coming in, I was going out. But, uh, but I knew after meeting Pastor Scott that I wanted to keep up with him and the various people and just see what the Lord did. And we're back, uh, but the, the in-between is what I'm about to share with you, and it's not what we expected. We were going through seminary, and in July of 2017, we found out we were pregnant. Of course, that means Victoria was pregnant. Um, but every life is a gift. Every life ought to be celebrated. Every life ought to be protected and valued. And so we were, we were excited about this. And I was about halfway through my seminary training. I was working full-time. Victoria was working. And we were continuing to pray that God would give us a healthy pregnancy, both for Victoria and our baby. And at about our 20-week checkup, if some of you may know that they get, it's a very exciting checkup because you get, to, you get to see if you're having a boy or a girl. And I remember that very um, distinctly because we got to see it was a boy in there. Grayson was a boy. But then right after that, we were told something we didn't expect, and it was our ultrasound tech was doing a full anatomy scan, and she just said, you know, I, I can't really see the heart can't really see it, uh, but she said, you know, it could just, babies develop differently, I'll just come, why don't you guys come back in a, in a couple weeks, um, and we'll look at it again, and so we came back, and still nothing, and she had this concern on her face where it, this was not normal, and so she referred us to specialists who basically did a full, about a, an hour and a half ultrasound almost, I mean, an extensive full ultrasound of everything. And if you've ever met an ultrasound tech, they're not really supposed to tell you what they, what they see, right? They're just doing what they're supposed to do. And I promise you, I grilled our poor ultrasound tech 
for an hour and a half straight probably, just subtly, you know, not saying, hey, tell me what's going on, but subtly saying, hey, is, are, is this normal? What are you seeing here? You know, this, this, this. And finally by the end, because he had got to know us and Victoria and I expressed that we were Christians, things like this, and at the very end I just said, can you just tell me? Can you just tell me? I mean, this is somewhat normal, right? And he looked at me and he said, do you want me to tell you the truth? I said, yes, please tell me the truth. And he said, no, this is not normal. And it was that moment that Victoria and I knew something was very wrong. And I remember the doctor coming out and handi- having a big packet of papers and handing the packet to us and basically uh, gave us a packet that said our son had what is called hypoplastic left heart syndrome, which means the left ventricle, if you know your heart, it's four chambers, uh, you know, you have your right and left, you know, atrias, you have your right and left ventricles. Your left ventricle is your powerhouse for your heart. It is, I mean, you need your whole heart, obviously, but the left ventricle is especially the big jacked muscle that just keeps your body going. And hypoplastic means it didn't develop. And so I have a picture, Troy, if, if you um, have it here, just wanted to show you. Uh, the normal heart is on the left, obviously, and on the right, you will see, don't mind the other stuff, I just found this picture, but I wanted to show you the ventricle, as you can see, that is about the size of the ventricle compared to a normal heart, just so you could see. Um, thank you, Troy. There is no cure for this. There is no, it's a very rare condition. They told us that about two to three children out of 10,000 get this condition. And it is a significant one because a child that is left untreated will die within about a week. Um, And I can go into the miracle about him even surviving in the womb another time. But, you know, when we heard this, we were almost shocked because, and I'm sure you've had moments like this in your life where you never expect your child or your family to be the one in 10,000, right? You never expect that. You just expect things to be normal. And, we, you know, you have these visions. We had these visions of a very cookie-cutter life, if you will. Healthy children, you know. One day we'll see grandbabies and we'll have the perfect position, perfect home, perfect this. And instantly, in a moment, all of that was shattered. The diagnosis was clear, and they told us what needed to be done. A series of three surgeries, three open-heart reconstructive surgeries, um, before he was about three years old. So the first one would be at four days old. Second one would be at somewhere between four and six months, and the third one would be when he's about three. And all of this information being flooded, you're kind of not really processing everything, but at the same time you're thinking this is overwhelming. There was, however, you know, we rejoiced that there was an option for him to have. You know, there was some hope. But as you know, I think, you know, the most frustrating thing is when the doctors have to, have to say this, they say, of course, you have, you have your options. You know, you have your options. You can proceed with the pregnancy, meaning there is another option to not proceed, which is already tragic. Um, and then if you want to proceed with the pregnancy, we understand that, but you can also decide to not treat, which in translation means leave them to die within the natural course of about a week. And as you all know, hopefully, there is no other option. There is no other option. 
Because as I mentioned, life is of value to God. And I told Victoria this. We looked at each other and I said, I don't care if we are in an infinite amount of debt for the rest of our lives, we are going to fight for this child. And it didn't matter. We were going to do it. Um, but that didn't make it any easier. As you can imagine, you're f- we're flooded with these questions. You know, you want to be a good, qu- good Christian and say that you don't question God, but we question God. We questioned why is this happening to us? Us out of 10,000. I mean, you, natural things think of, you know, there are plenty of abortions going on where people don't even want their children, and yet we want a child and we're given this. And we, aside from that, we were following God's will, what we thought for our lives. I was going to seminary wanting to become a pastor and just thinking, why? Why does this happen? What is the purpose in this? There's seemingly no purpose. So these questions flood your mind, um, and we were told initially that, you know, Grayson would have about a 60% chance to live or so through these surgeries because of them being so uh, really reconstructive and serious. I mean, four days old, he hardly knows how to do anything, and they were going to open him up. But we handled our doctor with patience and told her that this, there's no choice, we want to proceed. But I want to stop there for a second and thank God for, you know, there are certainly some vices in technology, right? But there are certainly some good things for technology. And us knowing ahead of time, at 20 weeks or so, 22 weeks, I guess, allowed us to have some time to not only process, but get the proper medical team in place so that as soon as he was born, boom, 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 we would go into this um, situation, uh, go into the, the things he needed to do with specialists, not just regular doctors. I want to read this, though, because I don't want to forget this. Just to give you some insight into what we were thinking. One of the most anticipated days of your life is when you have a child, right? Especially when it's your first. And this moment now of great joy was now looked at with mixed emotions, with fear and anxiety, because we knew the moment we would meet our son would also usher in great challenge and difficulty. Every day that passed would bring us closer to meeting our son, but also closer to the day we may say goodbye. It was very hard, and we tried to not think about it sometimes because it felt like a bad dream. We knew our lives would never be the same either way. If he would die shortly after birth, our hearts would surely be broken, and yet if he lived, life would never be the same for us and never be the same for him. The cookie-cutter image was shattered. And in addition to all of this, not only were we told that we had to do the three surgeries, but then they said, oh, yes, and both surgeons in Denver, we were in Colorado by the time if I didn't mention that, but both surgeons in Denver uh, have different ways of doing those three surgeries, so you have to choose. And, you know, that's the last thing you want to be tasked with is choosing. Both had their preferences, both had their reasons, and in, in short, we chose the route that was scarier in the beginning with a better chance at a longer life, if that makes sense. That's kind of the, our mentality. We just trusted God saying, if, if, he, if you want to take him home, take him home, but we want to do what's best for him long term. So that's what we chose, and, and I told Victoria, I told her, we cannot and we will not blame ourselves 
if something goes wrong. We're doing what's best for our child, in our opinion, at that moment. Some verses that were comforting to us in this time because it's hard. There is no full comfort at times, but some, some comfort that we were given, as Hayward mentioned, somehow God is causing it for our good, for those who love us. We knew that to be true. That's a promise. We can't have that be shaken. And Psalm 139, if you know this, in verse 13, it talks about when David's talking about, you formed me in my mother's wombs, you knit me together, and I just couldn't help but think, nothing escapes God's sight, nothing escapes God's plan. He had knit Grayson together in this way for a reason, and it was good. And that's what I, that those are some verses that, that really helped us, and it was a reminder that God had a direct hand in making grace in the way he was. I thought of Job as his faith was tested in great trial and saw that we must be faithful. In fact, in many opportunities, as I've read in the scriptures, trial can be a great example, a great opportunity for you to share your faith. So we, we really tried to commit to, okay, how are we going to make the most of this trial? And so... The story went on. We kept having our, our ultrasounds, things like this, and Victoria actually had to relocate. We were living in Colorado Springs. She had to relocate to Denver about two or three weeks before the birth, which was already hard because I kept working in Colorado Springs and would visit her on the weekend. Our baby's about to come. I'm not with her. I've got to work, and we're about an hour, hour and a half away. Uh, that was already hard enough because they needed her close to the hospital, the, the children's hospital, to be able to put all of these things into motion. And on March 12th, uh, it was about a little bit after midnight, the contract, I, and I'm praising God, this was a Sunday night, uh, contractions were going hard, and Grayson was coming. And I was there, I was, we were praying that I would just be there, because I did not want to miss this and leave her alone in all the midst of this. That's already another testimony of God's faithfulness, that I was there with her. And so the game plan was already put in motion. We would have a, a it was a big, uh, a big room, a big, uh, what do you call it, a delivery room. And they would have about 12 to 15 people in there with us, which were like, <laughs> privacy, you know, no. No, but we were 12 to 15 people all having different roles. This is amazing because Grayson would be at risk for many other birth defects that can't be detected and could be born with with just tragedy unimagined because of his high-risk heart, things like this. So they had multiple teams stationed in different places. And it was so cool because they were all cheering Victoria on, right? So sweet. And it was just, and when, Gray, and when Grayson, I don't mean to be graphic, but I just mean when Grayson came out, the room was filled with joy because he was, <laughs> he was crying. He was, he, 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 I don't know if he's happy or not. He's just screaming. Um, <laughs> But, but at the same time, it was, as you know, if you've ever been a part of that, it's a beautiful thing when a baby is born. It's a miracle in itself, right? Grayson is born now, and the 12 to 15 people are inspecting. They're doing this, they're doing that, and Grayson is born with no additional complications, praising God again because he was at high risk for all of those other things. And uh, I think you might actually have a picture, Troy. Um, just want to show you 
little Grayson when he was born. This is him, um, and he is just so precious. We enjoyed every minute we had with him, and I'll explain that in a second. Thank you, Troy. Because we only had minutes. With the way his heart is constructed, you can't, you can't operate on day one, so we have to get him on life-preserving medicine right away so he can live until day four. And so they had to take him away after a couple minutes, and Victoria and I had already determined, as long as she was okay, I would go with, with Grayson and watch him along the way. And so that was already a miracle. He was born with no other complications. Victoria was okay, praise the Lord, because that's what I was worried about as well. If, if you have a complicated baby, what is going to happen to my wife? And the first few days were very difficult because they had to put all these lines and IVs in him to keep him alive. And so by the time Victoria got to meet him a few hours later, we were so scared to touch him because we felt like we were going to break him. Not only were we first-time parents, but he's hooked up to all these things that were keeping him alive. And you don't want to be responsible for taking any of those out. So we hardly held him. We hardly touched him at all. And surgery day was approaching. Surgery day was approaching. We knew day four is coming. Day four is coming. And it, that's what we were talking about when we just mean it's scary. It hit Victoria the night before, or I'm sorry, the day before she was a wreck, understandably so. In the morning, right about before we were to hand him over to the surgery team, I was a mess. Because you knew that it could be the last time you see your baby alive. And you're handing them over to the surgery team and you don't think about that when, you, when we thought about having children. You don't think about having that moment of possibly being the last time we see them. And this procedure, if you remember the heart, the left ventricle was small. It was not functioning. Therefore, if something's not done, he would die. They had to reconstruct the heart to work off of just the right ventricle and right, the right side of his heart, in other words. So he's functioning on half a heart, they have to, they've got to rewire everything, and on top of that, they put this little, little, uh, almost like a Gore-Tex straw, it's called a shunt, that keeps things together, and essentially, in human terms, that shunt was holding his heart together. And the procedure took many hours, we received updates at various times, and it was scary, and we, we talked to our surgeon extensively, we told him we were Christians, we told him... Uh, we would be praying. We had family there. My parents flew in. Uh, her parents flew in to meet him ahead of time, just in case something happened. And we're all sitting at the very end in the waiting room, and the surgeon comes out and says, and of course, if you've ever had, dealt with surgery, you want to hear from the surgeon. The surgeon comes out and says, that it went amazing, and let me tell you something. I could feel your prayers. I could feel them because I was more alert. He, he just said I could feel it in some way. He just said I was more alert and more, I was just, he was pumped when he came out. He was just like, this went as good as possible. I just, I could feel it. And it was amazing because I don't know if he, he's a Christian or not, but he could feel the power of God equipping him for what he, his task was. But after that, after a surgery, that was phase one, right? Now the recovery. And if you've ever had an infant with an issue before, these are their formative years or formative uh, days, right? They're just learning to do things. And so this is a major setback, a huge heart surgery. He's got to learn to eat, got to learn to 
um, breathe on his own, things like this. And I want to show a picture here, but I want to give a warning. If you get queasy, and this is a graphic picture, okay? If you get queasy with medical things, please don't look. My reason for showing this is to show you what God brought him from till today, okay? Because when he came out of surgery, more lines than we can imagine are on him, and they are very scary, but I just want to give you that warning. We're going to show it now. So this is, this is little man after his surgery. Lines uh, of draining blood, keeping him alive with medicine. You can take it off, uh, Troy. Thank you for showing that. I want to show you that because he's four days old with all of those things in him. So many things they said could go wrong. They had to be real with us, right? So many things can go wrong, just preparing us ahead of time. And so we, we knew this, and they said, especially, guys, we don't want you staying with him the first night, which, of course, for us was uh, so hard. But they said, because of something called a post-pump slump, and I will remember that for the rest of my life, because if, you, if you're put on bypass, especially as a young imp infant to keep your heart or to as an artificial heart once your heart starts going again it wants to quit it wants to quit at some point in the first night because it, your body just wants to reject it and so they said we don't want you here go away in other words for the night stay in a sleeping room in the hospital but don't be here because it will be very scary and of course i went down at 4 a.m um i did a good thing i didn't i stayed away we knew we didn't, shouldn't be there, but I went down at 4 a.m. just to check on him, thinking, man, it's, it's past. It's got to be, be past. I just want to check on him. And I go in there, ask the nurse, how's everything? And she says, he's doing great. He's doing pretty, I mean, pretty good. He's, you know, these levels are okay. And I sit down for one minute, and all of a sudden, it start, the pressures start dropping, and the, the, the monitors start going, and everything is beeping. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. And she said, this is the slump. And so I couldn't leave now. I mean, I'm already there. I couldn't leave and be panicked. And, the, and, you, and I watched them just quietly, quickly do all these things, adjust medicines to keep him alive, adjust, adjust things to just keep him going to make it past the slump. And you're just fearful. This could, I don't want to see my baby die. But you can't leave either. So we watched, and after about 30 minutes, his levels had evened out a little bit, and they said he, he got through the slump, which was huge because I just wonder sometimes, you know how we rejoice in many things that we can see God doing, right? I just wonder how many things that we don't see that God does. Because I could think in that moment where the body is saying, I want to quit. I want to quit. We're done. And how many times God said, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. And I just think of that in our lives, how many times we should praise God for even the things we don't see and how he preserves and protects us. So all of that to say, we're working through the aftermath of the surgery proved difficult. He had to learn to breathe, eat, everything. We spent 42 days in the hospital um, from birth till we left for the first one. And that's difficult. We slept on what was like a, have you ever been to, have you ever seen like a gymnast mat, a blue gymnast mat before? It's kind of like that, but in a twin size version. And both Victoria and I shared it for 42 days. So that was fun. 
Um, spooning is not an option. Um, it just happens because there's no room otherwise. Um, but, the, I mean, you would literally fall off the couch otherwise. We're like hanging on. I'm like hanging on on the edge. Anyway, so this is just, it, we, we stayed there for 42 nights and we watched as he grew and as these things progressed. We, we went through infinite amounts of doctor's rounds, it seems, where we would hear one day it's great report, one day it's bad, one day it's a great report, now there's a big setback. I mean, this roller coaster of emotions constantly. But before we left, his heart had to be stable. He had to have adequate nutrition, whether through a feeding tube or through mouth. His wound had to heal properly. And we had to have a lot of things prepared at home, oxygen, uh, just in case, a scale, a pulse oximeter to measure his levels every day. And God, by his grace, eventually allowed him to leave without a feeding tube, which is a huge deal. I could go into that more, but I don't really have time. But he was taking things by mouth. This was, this was important. His wound was showing signs of he healing. And the day finally came, it was unexpected, where we could go home. And they said, yep, now you've got to deal with all the wound cleaning. You've got you've to check his pressures every day. If they drop below this, you've got to learn how to do CPR, et cetera. And you can imagine going home almost felt worse than being in the hospital because you're scared. It's your first child. You don't want to let them sleep through the night without constant monitoring, but you have to. So, again, that's just a, a part of it, and we knew it was coming. But I want to highlight God's faithfulness in you know, 42 days in the hospital, and I still don't know how we had energy aside from God. I don't know. And every day it was renewed, every single day. We had energy to not only track with the doctors, but to make decisions for our son, and I thank God for that, and for your prayers, because they were felt by us, too. And we had many moments of sweet times with our, with our son. I want to show a picture with, uh, you know, Victoria in... Uh, Grace, and we had many moments where, you know, this is him with his uh, nasal, nasal feeding tube, but many moments where he would just grip our little fingers, didn't have much energy, um, but, uh, but just sweet moments of, of cuddling and times like that as a mother should, right? And then you had times with me where we have another picture, Troy, where I like to make light of things, um, you know, in the midst of great difficulty, maybe it's just who I am. Uh, but we've got two pictures. One, I like to, you know, I dressed him with a diaper. You know, to this day, he still puts diapers on his head occasionally. And uh, we've got another one where I just, I really wanted to, to have some fun. You know, he didn't know any difference. I mean, it does kind of look like he's about to punch me, you know. He said, well, you know, why I ought to, if, if I could get these pants off my head. But, <laughs> thank you, Troy. But you need those moments, right? You need those. We had many moments of joy and, and cuddling time with him and, and, and also fun and things like that. But I want to share with you something that God taught me, and, and perhaps it will resonate with you. But uh, Troy, go ahead and show the next picture if you could. I wanted to show a little. So this is the box he was in right after he was born, this little tiny box. And he had you know, semi-bigger boxes as we went along. But I wanted to showcase this because this is as close as I could get to remembering. But, and you, you can put that away, Troy, thank you. That box, Grayson and I had many moments where, you know, Grayson had to be pricked or, um, 
given a shot or blood draws or new IVs and things like that that were painful to him. And I remember, the only, and he would cry and cry and cry, and I just remember over that box, hovering over him, putting my head almost to his head level where only he could see, all he could see was me. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder what he's thinking. And, and I could think, maybe he was saying, Dad, make them stop. Come on, you're big, you, can, you have the power to stop them, and you love me, why don't you stop them? It hurts, Dad. Can't you see I'm in pain? Don't you care for me? And if he was able to ask me that, I would say, surely, to Grayson, you don't understand, Grayson, but one day you will see that I'm allowing them to do this for your good. And I'm allowing you to do this, to get this done, because you need it done. You won't survive without this. And I'm showing you my love by letting you go through this. And then it clicked. This imaginary conversation I had in my head made me remember, I am the child. I was the crying child. When we ask ourselves, when, we, when I question God, why are you allowing this God? You have the power to take it away. You say that you love me. Why don't you do it? And then I remembered God would probably respond to me the same way I would respond to my son and say, Josh, you don't understand this now, but I'm working it for your good. Just hang on. I love you. And it changed my perspective. I've got to fast forward because I'm, I'm running out of time and, and, and I, want to, I want to do a good job with this. When we were home, the next four months would prove very scary. That shunt I mentioned, the highest cause of death for these children is when that shunt clogs and you know, no blood can get to the heart. They would die within minutes sometimes. And you're just living with almost what is like I would describe as a ticking time bomb. You know, that's what the second surgery is for, to take that shunt away and give you something bigger where the, where the heart can be more stable, but they can't until he's four to six months old. And so every day we monitored him, every day, and just saw his levels would go up, levels would go down, things like this, and we were just praying that God would get him through, and he did. We had to get him on oxygen by the end because his levels were dropping, but he got him to the second surgery, which was huge. And the second surgery at five months old uh, stabilized his heart. But I want to share with you this, this with you. The surgeon came out in a very similar way as before, and the surgeon said, everything went fantastic. He's doing great in the operating room. We're going to transfer him to his room in a moment. And a few moments later, the surgeon came out again. And when the surgeon comes out again, that's not a good thing. And he told us as soon as he got to the room that he was transferred in, his heart function diminished which means for these babies, since they're only functioning on one side of their heart, heart function diminishing should alert two words, and that means heart transplant, if it would continue that way. He didn't say that, of course, up front, and as the days progressed, he recovered from his surgery, but there was still that one lingering thing, and it was his heart function is still not where it should be. And the surgeon was frustrated, visibly so. I don't get it. I did everything right. Why is this happening I don't get it. And so every positive report would always be tempered by that, his heart function. And they told us if he was going to get better, if, 
it would be months and months and months before we saw any improvement. And if it didn't get better, he would most likely have to start the process for a heart transplant, which is very hard to get for children those age, that age. Um, anyway, so we left the hospital after eight days um, for the second surgery. Isn't that amazing? 42 days and then eight days. And we went to our follow-up appointment uh, with our cardiologist. We, we, we made this prayer request known publicly because we wanted people to pray for this specific need. And so many of you prayed for this. Two weeks later, we went to our cardiologist. These appointments take about three hours or so, doing ultrasounds of the heart, lots of tests. And I had to leave for work at about 11.30. We were there normally from like 9 to 12 or so. I had to leave at 11.30. I didn't get to see our cardiologist. Victoria would give me a report later. And she called me at 12.15 or so. And she said, I got to tell you, I've got to tell you what Dr. Stewart said, which is our doctor. And I'm thinking the worst already. And he said this. Victoria began to weep on the phone which again is very confusing for me because I didn't know if this was good news or bad news. And tears came into my eyes, as in my eyes, as she said, Dr. Stewart said this, I'm, he had heard about Grayson's heart function being diminished in the hospital, but now his function was perfect. And this is two weeks after the surgery. And so, after we were, we were just ecstatic, Victoria, Victoria and I agreed, we need to call the doctor back and make sure we're hearing this right. So I called the doctor, and normally you talk to a nurse. And he took my phone call, though, and he, so he walked me through it. He said, no, what was two weeks ago is not there anymore. And what that means is he can be qualified for a third surgery. and not, Basically, his life is defined by how long he can go without a heart transplant. Does that make sense? So this was huge news for us. God had clearly done something, and it was evident to the doctors. All of this to say, we went, we went home. Grayson stayed on oxygen for a while. He progressed. They told us he would need physical therapy, speech therapy, all kinds of things. And we, every time he saw one of those, he said, they said, what are you doing here? He's, he's doing great. And they, we never really followed up with them because we didn't need to. And he, every day that goes by now and, and then, he became more and more active to the point where it exhausted us. He has such a joyful personality and a happy demeanor, and his joy throughout all of this. Many of the nurses said, we much rather deal with children than adults, because children can handle way more than adults. Okay? Adults complain and gripe. Children can, can go with far less pain medicine and things like this. And I thought that was amazing. But his joy, he smiled. Like even when we, you know, I put the pants on his head, he's just happy. And this joy in the midst of great difficulty inspired me and, in, and continues to do so because he just thinks, I don't got a problem. This is how God made me. You know, this is it. And he loves to smile. He loves to laugh. It's my favorite aspect of his personality is this joy. And he finds joy in even the littlest things. And that's why I, th I thought I might show you a small clip. Troy, if we have it, this is, before we play it, this is his first time. So go ahead and rewind it, Troy. This is his first time seeing me blow a bubblegum bubble. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> 
Needless to say, I watched that video, I think, probably 10 times a day because it was just, it embodies who he was. He just likes to laugh. He likes to have fun, and he's so joyful. And so now, fast-forwarding to today, and I'm sorry, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to take you about five to ten minutes over. Can I finish, though? Is that okay? Some of you are like, oh, man. Just bear with me. Our son's now a little bit older than one. He knows how to walk. He babbles all the time. He laughs. He goofs off. And his favorite thing to do is dance. And they, one of the blessings of all of this is, you know, they say that these children can sometimes be very lethargic because they don't have as, he doesn't have as much oxygen as us. Um, and so very lethargic. That's not Grayson. He's all over the place all the time. Um, I want to show you a picture of, of him today. This is him enjoying the, the beach um, the other day. This is him right now, uh, basically. Um, as soon as we moved to Florida, he loves the beach. He doesn't have any oxygen. He was on, when he first got out of the hospital, about 10 to 11 different doses of medication a day. A day, every day, every day, every day. Now he's down to one, which is the only one that he'll need for the rest of his life, which is a little baby tablet of aspirin, a half a tablet. And all that to say, that's the best case scenario for these children. Two open heart surgeries, 50 days in the hospital. Grayson's been through countless blood draws, IVs, medications, x-rays, echocardiograms, difficult discussions with the doctors and nurses, many tears later, many setbacks later, many joys later, and we can still say that God is good. Now, Grayson still must have his third surgery when he's about three years old, and the outlook is very much unknown, and he's more prone to a lot of body, bodily complications than most, and his life expectancy is really unknown. But here are some things that we do know. There's no cure for this, but we have a God that does miracles, and they're continuing to research ways to help. We know that God knows what will happen before it does. We know that God is good and that he will never leave and forsake us. He hasn't throughout this whole process, and he won't. We also know, and I mentioned this at the sunrise service, but we also know that there's no such thing as percentages in God's eyes. If you're given an outlook, you have a 1% chance to live versus 99 God's will will happen 100% of the time. And it is encouraging to know that the good Father will determine that. And we are so thankful for those of you who have encouraged us along the way. We're thankful for the gifts that were given to us. We're thankful for those who prayed for us. And I'm thankful for my wife. Because her wisdom and discernment in all of this, there's so many other miracles that I could, could go through. But one of which, Grayson has not been sick one time, not a cold, not a flu, not one time, those things can put him directly in the hospital and be very bad for him, and he's not been sick one time. And I think that is God's grace in protecting him, but I also think it's the discernment of my wife and me, but mostly my wife. But I'm thankful for your wisdom and your love, your perspective and strength. And as Victoria and I sit and think about this journey we know some, something amazing, and this we can honestly say as we go through the list of prayers we've asked for and prayed, God has answered every single prayer request that we've requested along the way with the exception of one, and that is he has not healed his heart. But you know what that has taught us is God's saying, I'm hearing you. 
I'm not going to take away what you're going through, but I will walk with you through it every step of the way. And so I want to apply this to you, and then we will be, be done, because I don't want you to think about, I, I hope that you're praising God for his goodness. This is something where 60% chance to live, he, he, he made it and is thriving in many ways. But we continue to pray for him. But perhaps there are some of you out there with a similar situation, some who are not able to have children, some who have lost children, meaning uh, your children have died or, or you've had loved ones that have passed. Maybe you're going through incredible physical pain or spiritual pain. Perhaps you have a child that is not walking in the faith. Perhaps you have a spouse that is not walking in the faith. Perhaps you have a friend that has left the church and you feel betrayed. Perhaps you have been overwhelmed with the stresses of life. Or maybe you're suffering because you know the Lord. Whatever the, tech, whatever the case may be, I want you to consider something with me. Please, before we leave, turn to Matthew 10. And I'm going to fast forward. I was going to read a little bit more, but I'm just going to read three verses or four verses. Matthew 10, verse 28 through 31 says this. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. He's talking to his disciples, and they're going to go through great difficulty for knowing Christ. But I want to to show you something that applies to you directly, and it is that if God cares about little sparrows that were sold for the smallest, two of them sold for the smallest copper coin, not one of those seemingly worthless birds fall to the ground apart from God ordaining it and God knowing it, So nothing in your life happens outside of his vision, outside of his control. Nothing. And guess what? You are more valuable. You are more valuable. He knows the number of hairs on your head, meaning he knows you intimately. If you think God doesn't see you, he does. And John 10 talks about him being the good shepherd, right? You know what a shepherd does? It says the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep If you're in this room and you know Christ, he has laid his life down for you so that you might know him. How much more so will he stand with you in the midst of trial? He will not leave you or forsake you. Friends, family will leave you, but God will not. He will never leave you, and he knows you by name. He sits in heaven, not Stoic. He is not emotionless. He does not hear your prayers and say, okay, I'll consider it. He says he shows emotion and compassion. He loves you. If you know him, he loves you. The king of the universe knows you by name. He's laid his life down for you. Nothing happens to you apart from his will. He will not abandon you in times of trouble. And he wants, to cast, he wants you to cast your fears and anxieties on him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares. Don't ever forget in whatever trial you're going through that the king of the universe cares for you.
and he will not leave you or forsake you. This is the hope we have in knowing Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share your goodness. Lord, time simply did not permit for me to get into every detail of your miraculous work, Lord. When I look when I look at my son, I see your goodness. I see an example of your faithfulness. And you did not say, I will stop the trial, but you said that I will walk with you through it. And I pray that everyone in this room who is going through something, whether it be physically, perhaps they have an illness, or a family member does, or they have lost, lost lo loved ones that don't know you, or they're going through some sort of spiritual pain, please comfort them and show them that you care. Because you do. You will not leave them. You will not forsake them. And one day we will be reunited with you in heaven for all eternity where sorrows and pain will be gone forevermore. Let every person in this room think of how you have been faithful in the midst of great trial in their lives, Lord. Please let them go out praising you because you are good and you care for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.